Yeah, when I'm ever listening to a podcast, I listen to Rare Encounter. It's July 5th, 2023, and this is Rare Encounter. Encounter number 153. And coming at you from the past, I'm Abel Kirby. And Mark Christopher. Back again. It's been a long time, but uh, as you might have noticed, we're not quite live tonight. We have a canned episode. Uh, Mark has uh, offered to come back for a, a reappearance on the show. And so this will be aired uh, right after the July 4th holiday. I'll be on business travel, so uh, that's the reason for it. I forgot to plug it on the last episode. So if you didn't hear uh, from someone else, uh, surprise. But anyway, we're going to spend some time just chit-chatting. Um, make sure you have something to uh, to listen to this uh, Wednesday. And I think we, ha- we we had some promises of stories from Youngstown. Stories from Youngstown. Yeah. Stories from there. Now, if you could remember which ones that I plugged the last time. So I think that we were talking about uh, mob bosses and all kinds of... You, you had described Youngstown as a... Um, Let's see, it was a middle-sized town with a big city salary yes, or something yes. like that? Yeah, Youngstown um, essentially had, you know, Chicago and New York wages. Um, they were very fortunate. They had a small steel industry that was real specialized. It had been there a long time. It was established. And um, there's a good write-up about it on Wikipedia on how the uh, economy was. Um, and it was really great for a while, but it also set them up for the big fall in the 1970s when the uh, steel mills all closed. And it was 29% unemployment. Yikes. Mm. Yes. But before that, it was really nice. (laughs) Now, uh, you gave me, since then, you gave me a thumb drive with a bunch of uh, sound effects and radio clips from WHOT. WHOT. Yeah, there's a, um, um, my, uh, a relative of mine worked there when he was starting out in the broadcasting world. And uh, we used to be able to go there and rummage through the record library. And in the days before the internet and the days before MP3, the fact that you got three or 400 free songs from the radio station was a really big deal. Because if you were to buy that on singles, it'd be a buck each, maybe two bucks each if they were new singles. So we would go there and just rummage through everything. Well, I also went through the production library and grabbed everything that I could from there because it was just cool to play with. You know, it was all on real tape. I was uh, had the wherewithal enough to record everything on uh, quarter-inch real tape back in those days. And, um, and this is actually some of the old stuff, some of the old... Um, what do you have? Oh, I've got a bunch of tracks. I've got, like, track 19 for whatever that is. You know? W-H-O-T! Yeah, that's from the 70s. Yeah, so they started this station. It was a daytime only for a long time, and it was only a 500-watt AM station. Um, and then they were 24 hours, I think, sometime in the 60s. But it was the station that everybody grew up listening to. It was the station your parents grew up listening to. You know, it was the station when you were a kid that was always playing on the car radio. And, um, and it was really a cool operation, but it was it was low budget, but just enough low budget, you know. <laughs> No, I, I, I really got a kick of li- out of listening to some of these. Um, like, you had all of these little stings and the drops and stuff. W-H-O-T! And the commercials from the 80s. Uh, that was fun. I like the Pepsi stuff. So we had a hot streak. It's a non-stop hot streak on Hot FM 101. And you know, that guy was, that voice was real popular in those days, in the 80s. And I'm, <laughs> and I'm trying to remember who the production company was. 
but it was kind of like the guy that had the uh, raspy voice in the 90s. You know, the bits. Remember that? 99.7, the Blitz. That guy that used oh. to do all of the radio. It sounded like Scorch. Yeah. It's the only... The, we had that guy in uh, New England, and he disappeared. He was really... I, I didn't like him at all. He had a crappy radio station, uh, or radio show. And I found out the other day, not only did he continue doing radio, he moved to, like, upstate New York. He was working at a station there. And uh, there's a there's another podcast that's kind of in our circle called uh, Who Are These Pod... I think it was Who Are These Podcasts? It's a, it's a, they listen to podcasts and they just kind of rip them. You know, they review them and they, they basically do an insult comedy show based around shitty podcasts. Anyway, they kept going after Scorch. And so they have all these, uh, th- that's how I found it. He was in upstate New York. I was listening to them and they, uh, they're slamming him for being a completely well, useless, like drunk when, on the air. And- when you mention bad podcasts, I keep thinking about the iHeartRadio commercial where they're parodying, you know, fake podcasts. And I can't yeah. tell if it's fake or not. Oh, yeah. Because they have some mornings, they'll have a real podcast advertisement, and it's for something stupid like the Green Spotted Cocoa Bean podcast (laughs) or something like that. And then you're like, oh, it's one of those parodies. But no, it's not. It's real. And then the next day, they're talking about something, and it's like, hmm, okay. Well, I guess when you have how many podcasts nowadays? Oh, uh, How many? A million at any one time? Well, it depends on how you define them, because like, if you think that everything on Spotify is a podcast, then there's probably a little more. But the podcast index, I think, has the definitive uh, index of things that are real podcasts. That's stuff that's actually open uh, to the public with a published RSS feed. And uh, let's pull them up right now and see what they have. What they have. Nah, I don't. I don't have it. I think. I think it's in the several millions. <laughs> That's a lot. I mean, compared to the old days when you had maybe you had your television and radio stations doing interviews, you know, so maybe you could look at it this way, that the money is spread out over a million programs versus over only a couple thousand or so. So maybe the quality isn't what it used to be. Mm. I don't know. But you get a lot more variety. That's for sure. Yeah, I'm looking up. Four okay, podcasting is four million. Wow. Yeah. And uh, they that, that's in the last 90, uh, mm-hmm. they, they break it down by like, okay, and half of those are just garbage. And if you start going down, <laughs> the bane of the podcasting um, uh, world, uh, if, you're, if you're someone who's trying to count an index podcast was Anchor.fm, they were a site that let you upload a podcast for free, which is fine. It's, it's great, except it was only used by people who, you know, they'd upload a 30-second uh, recording of them saying like, farts farts and then they publish it and it'd be a podcast and so you know if you okay. go by some of these numbers it's just garbage like there's no there's there's no serious person who should be counting that i mean number, at right? least but, we have some some direction i mean we have some direction here a little but some direction yeah and most of them are dead too you know a lot of podcasts just don't update so feels a little smaller than it appears hmm, if okay you, if you listen to the people trying to sell ads for podcasts they'll tell you that there's this many and okay well the truth is there's there's a much lower number <laughs> and the ones that make money man that's even uh, it's even lower than that so what else do we have in here what else do we have in the library here that might oh, be of interest see. we got 45s and 78s we got sound effects um I'm excited about that BBC sound effects library. That is like a 48 gigabyte. Uh, oh, it's it's thing. you know once, once again it bits fell off the internet onto my computer and um, you know you go through there and you're listening to them and you hear stuff that you remember from Doctor Who. 
Mm. You know, things like, you know, there's a chiming clock. I think it's called domestic chiming clock. And I think that is used in every BBC production whenever there's a clock chiming, you know. Domestic chiming clock, I think is what it's called. Domestic chiming clock for a half hour. Let's see. Is this the one? Mm-hmm. Is that a Winchester chimes? What's the it's, name of that? it's an excellent recording. Yeah. Uh, Westminster chimes. Yeah. Uh, there's words. Did you know that there's actually lyrics to that song? Yeah, isn't it? Uh, isn't it in a God uh, religious song? Yeah, it is. Uh, Westminster quarters. Here we go. Uh, All through this hour, Lord, be my guide. That by thou pow- thy power, no foot shall slide. Interesting. That's the Big Ben mm-hmm. uh, inscribed plaque. Interesting. I don't know. My my chiming clock plays Ava Maria, so. Uh, yes. Well, I... Uh, dead air. Dead air. Oh, we can't have any of that. Uh, you can just play anything you want if you want to get rid of the dead air. High quality. High quality uh, podcast. <laughs> no, uh, I want to get back to some of these... Uh, some of these uh, radio station things that you had. Uh, I thought they were... Radio, modern. Yeah. Uh, was it? Uh, the Pepsi commercial. I thought that was pretty good. Uh, the, the the country style one. You know, and once again, this is a thing where, you know, I'm in a radio station and it's 1989 and there's no digital audio. Everything's reel to reel tape and everything. So I've got a, a 3,600 foot reel on a, on a, on a 10 inch reel that I'm recording in the studio. And I'm just grabbing everything I could find to record. And I remember finding a little, little box with a five inch reel in it and it had Pepsi commercials. Like, yeah, let's throw a bunch of this stuff on there. We might need it for something. Yeah. It's the country one. You see it, you love it. You choose it for the <laughs> feeling it. of it. Going down. Let's see. We could use that for something you else today. It, you know yeah. Feeling of it going down. <laughs> yeah, it's the theme of the whole country. <laughs> you love it. Oh, do you want to? Yeah. You want a you want a story about how I pissed my boss off early on in the radio career? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Okay, Megadeth came to the radio station and recorded an answering machine message for my boss, the studio director. Well, the tape was left on the reel-to-reel machine and I came in night shift and I found it there. So I cut it up and took out all references to him and had it on my answering machine before he had it on his. <laughs> and then everybody thought that he copied the fact that I had the Megadeth answering machine message. And oh, was he mad? Oh, oh boy. Do you want to, I think yeah, I so, have that here. You want to yeah, hear it? So here's the, here's the one I cut up. This is Marty Friedman. I'm David Ellison. We're from Megadeth. You're not. So don't be a dirtbag and leave a message. So come on, man, let's go raid the fridge. <laughs> and where the cuts are, it had my you know, my boss's name in there. And it was like, hey, hey, Mark's got the uh, Megadeth answering machine message. That's so cool. And oh, boy. Mm, oops. Oh, well, such is life, right? I, I like these. I, I was talking uh, with some folks and we were saying we should get some of these, you know, this style uh, of the, you know, I'm uh, I'm so-and-so from this band and just make a bunch of fake ones for our all our friends' podcasts, you know, it's like... Yeah, when I'm ever listening to a podcast, I listen to Rare Encounter. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Stuff like that. Uh, what's uh, Z-Rock? W-R-Z-R? Is oh, that Z-Rock? That, okay, that was, that was interesting because that was a station that was on in Columbus. Um, 
early on before the internet took over, once again, they had automation services and automated um, services you could subscribe to via satellite. So all of the audio and all the jocks came down via satellite and they would be really nondescript as far as location. So it sounded like they were local, kind of. And then the receiver, the satellite receiver would have uh, relay closures for uh, firing local carts for local advertisements. Mm -hmm. And that's what Z-Rock was. It was the SMN Music Network, Z-Rock. And um, this is some of the stuff that they would do. These were all the corporate liners that uh, they sent us. And I was like, well, let me grab some of those. They might be interesting. Z-Rock. It's long ago defunct. I'm trying to remember... The wiki article says, I think the mid-90s, they got it. Yeah. I liked some of these. Like, what was this? Uh, Z-Rock. What the f*** are you looking at? <laughs> so, I just like the bravado in, in this one. Z-Rock. The most powerful rock and roll station on Earth. The cocktail one's a good one. The cocktail one? Oh, yeah. Z-Rock. America's Molotov cocktail. But then they would play sound effects during songs. Like if there was a quiet spot or a transition during a song, they would do stuff like that. It made it really interesting to listen to um, as far as what went on. But um, those are expensive. You don't see that too much anymore, you know, doing stuff like that. Mm. Uh, I see all the other production stuff, like the weather bed. <laughs> that's fun. Now, that that's from just like, oh, wait. Oh, yeah, yeah. You can run that one. That's actually more professional. Uh, the music bed? Yeah. Today it will be 85 degrees, and tonight it will be 70, followed by thunderstorms tomorrow. Have a good 4th of July weekend from WHOT Youngstown. 1330, WHOT. <laughs> That's fun. Oh, the news. I like the news. What's in the news, Mark? Late breaking news now on WHOT. <laughs> There's all kinds of these fires, man. These are is can it, is uh, Canada being wrongfully blamed for these fires, or is it? Uh, do we have them dead to rights? Fires? Yeah, oh, these, that these are uh, the smoke coming over the. Uh, yeah, the it whole smells. Country. It smells like you know. At least in Columbus, Ohio, to me, if you got a bag of charcoal and sprayed it with a garden hose and then put, stuck your nose in it, that's what it smells like. It smells like a wet bag of charcoal. Mm. So definitely Canadian. That's what I'm getting. <laughs> a wet bag of charcoal. Oh, here, here's something you might find interesting. Um, there's a Bell Labs, like, sound demonstration called How We Hear in the LP section. And it was done in the 1950s. And you could just see the, the scientist in the white lab coat smoking a non-filter camel, mm -hmm. you know, doing this. Do you want to hear a little bit of it? Let me see. Where's the... Some of them are pretty distorted. Oh, let me get in front of the mic. Oh, at the, at the science of sound. The science of sound, yeah. How We Hear, yeah. frequency, all these things. Where's the... The Doppler effect. I will now demonstrate the Doppler effect. Doppler! <laughs> that was actually really cool. It's real straight, though. It's real straight and dry. Is it? Is yeah, it? Is yeah. it 2V over Lambda? Did you ever notice how the pitch of a train whistle suddenly lowers as the train rushes past you? Almost like it lowers with the <laughs> the direction towards the train, the cosine of the direction towards the train. Interesting. Where's the uh, the filtered music and speech? That one's actually pretty interesting. Oh, 
If for any reason your ears are prevented from vibrating throughout the entire normal range of frequencies, either because they have some physical defect or because the phonograph equipment is of low fidelity, phonograph equipment. sound quality will be quite different from normal. To illustrate this, the orchestra will first play an arpeggio sweeping from the high frequencies to the low frequencies, and then back to the high frequencies again. prevent frequencies below 800 cycles from reaching your ears. 800 cycles? Listen to I what love happens it. for those dramatic... It's before movies. 1970. Now, once again, this was recorded when filtering stuff like this was really hard to do. I mean, you couldn't do this at home. Yeah. You know, this is something that was done in a lab with filters, you know. This is like when Butterworth was <laughs> trying mm -hmm. to come up with the Butterworth filter in the first place. That's really cool. I like... Uh, if you ever get to some of those old journals, uh, Bell Labs used to publish a lot of their research in, like, periodic, uh, I don't know what they'd be called. They're, like, bound yeah. volumes. And a lot of that stuff got thrown out in the 90s. A buddy of mine has a lot of that stuff. It's mm -hmm. fascinating. All the shit they came up with that was way before its time. You, you can go and find papers on... Uh, how to put together a speakerphone and how the algorithm for ducking the mic, you know, uh, to be, you have a problem with the speakerphone when you're speaking uh, into a speakerphone and then the other party on the other side also has a speakerphone. There's coupling between every right. microphone and every uh, loudspeaker. And so you end up just echoing back over and over. You need a circuit or some kind they of thing that suppresses it. Funky delay circuit. Yeah. It, well, they Completely came, analog. They came up with, yeah, it's a delay and it's correlating the sound that you're making with the, with the sound that's coming in, trying to detect what the echo is and remove it. Mm -hmm. And this is... It's all so early. Well, it's amazing. I mean, you could watch television shows from the 70s, and they've got a speakerphone right there, and those worked just like they demonstrated them, you but know. Th this wasn't the 70s or the 60s or the 50s. Further back. It was back. like the, the 30s, you know, before anyone would, before I'd consider speakerphones existing. Maybe I'm wrong, but. Now, there are, are some advantages to having a large monopoly. They have money, money, and money to spend on research. Mm. No, this I, I like those uh, those old journals. They're they're a lot of fun. I'm trying to think of what else we have in here. Um, what do we have coming? Doctor Demento stuff. Oh, always Doctor <laughs> Demento. Uh, who was Doctor Demento? Oh, Doctor Demento. Um, it was a radio show. It was a parody radio show that aired pretty much all through the 80s and early 90s. I don't think you could do it today because too many people would be offended. And he would play parodies. He would play parody songs. Um, stuff like Dickie Goodman or, um, oh, who was the other now, fellow? Now, I know, I know of Dr. Demento mm -hmm. from, for only one reason, which mm -hmm. is Weird Al Yankovic. Yeah, he probably, he got a start on Dr. Demento. Yeah, right, right. the only thing I've ever heard of him. And, and he had a weekly show. We always listened to him. He was on, uh, I'm trying to remember what station he was on in Columbus. I can't remember. But it was something you typically heard. It was syndicated. It's Westwood One. He heard it on the weekends, usually. Westwood One. Westwood One. The Westwood One Radio Network. Do you want to hear a little Dr. Demento? You can play a slice just to get a taste for it. Yeah, go ahead. Let's uh, let's listen. Oh, that's a commercial. That's a commercial? That's a commercial from a college radio station in Columbus oh. where this is recorded from. 
Is this Dr. Demento? That's another college radio station commercial. Wow. How come they all say Dr. Demento on them? Uh, it's, it's, it's segmented. <laughs> there's, there's show segments. You just happened to pick the two that were the commercial segments. Oh, okay. Uh, I could try a different one. There we go. This is Gary Newman. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I can hear it. All the girls run after him, and my girls in front of them all. <laughs> I think this is Gary Newman's first song ever. Of course, his best song, favorite song of all time. Oh, uh, Cars. Cars. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's see. Um, where do you want to go from here? We got. We could play some more radio stuff. Oh, uh, um, what about um, talk microwaves? We could talk about these shot oh, glasses. Hey, wait a minute. Uh, did you ever hear the Liberty Bell? Do you want to hear the, what the Liberty Bell sounds like? If any, since Fourth of July is coming up, I have a recording actually of the Liberty Bell. Okay. Uh, look for W E A F. W E A F. W E A F D Day. Okay, let me see. One, two, three, four. F- number five of five. Okay. And it's about nine and a half minutes in. Nine and a half minutes. Okay, now let me premise this. These are the, this is the full broadcast day recording of June 6th, 1944, when we were invading France. And these are transcription disc recordings from the WEAF soundboard. So it's um, what the soundboard sounded like for radio in the 40s. It's actually pretty good. It goes up to about 12 kilohertz. But because it's um, news reports of, an important event during the war. One of the things they did was they went to Independence Hall and had the mayor read something, a little speech. I think he read what was in, inscribed on the side, and then they rang the bell. And I think it's one of the few times in history that it's ever been recorded. Hmm. So let's take a listen. Nine and a half minutes in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Berlin go forward. Tells us also that tell us that we use go forward. There. Keep going. The- of this invasion right operation. We are bringing you this big story as it unfolds here in the NBC newsroom, the crossroads of the news. Yeah, leave it here. The crossroads of the news. Ladies and gentlemen, not long ago, President Roosevelt commented that the invasion of Europe might better be referred to as the liberation of Europe. At this moment, as that great task of liberation has begun, NBC brings you a sound which heralded the liberation of our own country, the ringing of the Liberty Bell. We take you now to Independence Hall in Philadelphia. Nice. What was that? It sounded like a pig. Independence Hall. I'm speaking to you from the foyer in the south end of the hall, the spot where the famous Liberty Bell has rested since 1915. The Liberty Bell will be rung by Mayor Bernard Samuel of Philadelphia. Mayor Samuel. This great bell, which you are about to hear, was first rung in Independence Hall in 1753. It bears the inscription from the Leviticus, Proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. Now through radio, let it indeed proclaim liberty throughout the land and the return of liberty throughout the world. From Independence Hall in Philadelphia, we return you to the NBC Newsroom in New York. Interesting. That's pretty good. Yeah, it's not a bad recording of it. 
Oh, it didn't sound like what I thought it would sound like. It sounds like a broken bell. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it's just cool because, you know, the echo, you know, they have the echo in the hall and it's that's all natural. You know, there was no, you know, that was. And if you're wondering what that little that little uh, repeat was, that sounds like a, 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 a tape loop repeat. Um, they're switching the uh, network lines in and everybody's listening on their soundboard manually. Right. Well, when they switch to you, you have to switch to your local source. And for a second, if you don't do that, it feeds back. And you're seeing that's the delay from New York to Philadelphia and back to New York again okay. over the transmission lines. Oh, that's fascinating. And if you listen to these old broadcasts enough, you'll hear them where they're like trying to go to a station and somebody's not listening. And it'll feed back a bunch of times and they'll go, well, we'll try it again to, to find WABC. You know, it's WABC, come in. And you hear the echo. <laughs> da, 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 and then they switch it off. Okay, well, we'll go to our local station here. You know. Yeah, I think we have we have that feature here on Rare Encounter. We could just click that. It just happens. <laughs> that would that sounds like it, all the way out to California and back. Yeah, we delay. We even have a we even have our own bell. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of what else I have in here that I could think of offhand. Mm, uh, that would be interesting. News, um, oh, there, there's th- that's the entire that's the old radio programs directory that's absolutely huge. Wow, there's so much good shit in here. NBC like, um, News like, from around the world, like, wait, 1944. Wait, wait. Here's a good one. How about an interview with Orson Welles and H.G. Wells done in 1941? Orson Welles, who did War of the Worlds, who they still was fresh in their mind in the 40s, and then H.G. Wells, who wrote the book in 1899 in a studio doing an interview. Yeah, uh, um, K- with H.G. K-T- Wells. KTSA interview. You, you were, it was just right there. Yep. Um, you want to start from the beginning or drop in the middle? Yeah, just start from the beginning. This is Charles C. Shaw speaking. KTSA is honored this evening by the presence in our studios of two great men, the Honorable H.G. Wells, world-famous British historian, author, and student of world affairs. And Mr. Orson okay, that's the wrong. Go back to here. Go back to here. Oh, this boy right here. What do you want to see? That one. That's the higher quality one. Uh, you point to it again. That one you're on right now. All right. There we go. Oh, yeah, I hear it nice. So, so what's the difference between these? Is one uh, okay, and... um, when you recorded stuff in those days, they were recorded on, on, on shellac transcription discs that were 16-inch transcription discs that had a groove that was the same width of a 78 groove, but it played at 33 and a third. So you got 15 minutes on a 16-inch disc. And since it was shellac and you were playing it back with a 90-gram you know, tone arm, you only got about five or six plays. Really? Yeah. So those discs you hear that like the, the D day ones, they weren't played. They, those are recorded and thrown in a vault and then played back later with Mm. modern equipment. And then what you're hearing, the first example was probably one that had been played 10 times. Ah. And then this is probably the source that somebody threw in the archive. That's the name of Wells. H G W E L L S and Orson W E L L E S became linked. Mr. H.G. Wells, in the opinion of many, is the world's most famous man of letters. He has come to San Antonio to address the United States Brewers Association, and Mr. Orson Wells is here for a town hall forum address Wednesday. In this meeting of great minds, I feel rather inconspicuous, and the less I have to say, the better you listeners will like it. But first, (laughs) could I interest you gentlemen in a discussion of Mr. Orson Wells' broadcast of Mr. H.G. Wells' book, The War of the Worlds? You're turning the meeting over to us, sir? I am for the moment. (laughs) He's turning it over to us. Well, I've had uh, uh, 
a series of the most delightful experiences seemed to since I came to America. But the best thing that has happened so far is meeting my little namesake here, Orson. I find him the most delightful uh, uh, carrier. He carries my name and an extra E that I hope he'll drop sooner or later. <laughs> <laughs> see no sense in it. And uh, I've uh, known his work before he made this sensational Halloween uh, spree. <laughs> Are you sure there was such a panic in America or wasn't it your Halloween fun? <laughs> I think that's the nicest thing that a, mm. that a, a man from England could possibly say about the men from Mars. <laughs> I like that. The man from Mars. Well, a little bit, of, a little bit of, um, yeah. There was a fella that had a, a giant collection of old radio stuff, and he was pretty old, and he had a hard drive, and he was selling the entire collection, you know, on on removable discs. And I was like, you know, I might not see this guy the next time I I go to these shows. I better buy this before I get it. Before, yeah. what do you hell with the Green Hornet? Yeah. Now I I have played some of these um these radio plays. You gave me a. a portion of of your collection and i broadcast mm-hmm. a few before rare encounter uh, some it must have been a year ago by now where i would put um just a whole episode on as the the roll up to the show mm-hmm. you know? and then mm-hmm. uh I, i'm not sure you know the live format so i'll, I'll, I'll repeat it before uh about 6 p.m eastern time we usually come on and and kind of do some preamble and then the show starts at seven usually and uh, I use that hour-long slot usually with some DJing going on. Sometimes uh, Cold Acid does it. Uh, sometimes I do. But uh, I, it was really exciting. I played a couple of these uh, these old radio plays, and, and they're just fantastic. I'll tell you what. One of my favorite ones was the uh, this uh, insurance. What was the insurance oh, adjuster? Oh, Johnny Dollar. Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. I, it was very cool. Uh, he was very suave, man. He's always uh, the episode I listened to. He was, mm, I think he was flying to Egypt, and uh, he met his, uh, I guess, ex girlfriend in flight. You know, she was on the same plane. It was very, <laughs> very fun conversation. Uh, and they do a lot with the radio. Just, just two people talking, and you, you, you listen to it. You can start to believe they're actually on a plane flying into Cairo. So <laughs> the way they did another good one, um, if you're into old radio programs, is Gunsmoke. Um, and Gunsmoke was really good because it was at the end. It was the end of radio. Television was taking over. Everybody was used to their job. You know, everyone was really good at doing their work. And um, they were losing sponsors, so they used to do some of the scripts were really descriptive and violent stuff you could never do on television in the 1950s. Hmm. You know, like when they're talking about the his friend Kitty, the prostitute. Oh, you know. that's right. We were talking about this last episode. I, I remember that last yeah, time you spoke. Uh, Kitty, yeah, we use that. I think we use that for the Kitty. opening. Uh, you know. the opening. And of course, segment. the greatest, the greatest radio voice ever, William Conrad. And those of you who might remember Cannon or uh, Jake and the Fat Man from the eighties, you know the old guy, William Conrad, <laughs> who has uh, that. It's got to be the best radio voice ever. Maybe oh, who else? Alexander Scorby might be, you know, right up there with him. But oh, is this the whole Gunsmoke collection? It's everything. Yeah. Wow. We uh, drop into one of these just to... Yeah, some of them are really bad. Some of them are really good quality, I mean, you know, audio quality. 
You think uh, there's any rhyme or reason? Maybe the, the larger files the, will be higher quality? Grab the earlier ones from the early, like, 52. All right, 52. The lynching. Let's listen to this. Gunsmoke. Around Dodge City and in the territory on west, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. And that's not one of the better. That's not one of the better quality. Oh, it's ones. very, very listenable. I could. Some of them are really good, though. Some of them are really good. Uh, well, I do like that. I, I just want to listen to this for a couple more seconds. Just the way the orchestras are recorded. Gun smoke, starring William Conrad. The story of the violence that moved west with young America. The story of a man who moved with it. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. My my grandfather really liked all of this cowboy stuff. He's, I'm that man, Matt Dillon, the first person they look for and the last they want to meet. <laughs> well, my grandfather was always about this stuff. He had a collection of a lot of cowboy books, cowboy stuff. Now, my father was sci-fi. He really liked a lot of, you know, Dune and mm-hmm. uh, a little bit of Star Wars, that kind of thing. How old was, when was your dad born? Uh, 59. 59. Oh, okay, this he would be a little past this. There's one on here called X minus one. That's a, uh, 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 it's an NBC sci-fi radio from the early fifties. Mm. Uh, is what do you mean X minus one? That's what it's called. X minus one. Minus one. Minus one. Oh, I don't. I'm not seeing it. Sorry. How about just X? Just the the letter X. We got Jimi Hendrix. We got Tic Tac Toe. <laughs> we got Banshee Screams and Wails X2, whatever that means. <laughs> oh, oh, you're man. searching the entire thing. Yeah, I'm looking at the whole thing. I don't see anything. There's too many, too many things. Okay, wait, XXX. wait, wait. I'm getting triple X's. I'm getting. Wait, wait, wait. Um, search for, how about this? Match game. Match game. TV theme go. match game. Play that. Oh. <laughs> This is great. (laughs) I wish they would do themes that are just fun again. You know, listen to Game of Thrones. I remember when Game of Thrones came out and, and, and okay, the show is okay. But the thing that annoyed me the most is the opening song was so boring and generic. And <laughs> and you had these people online who were doing, oh, it's the harmonica cover. I played it on a xylophone. You know, it's people putting all this energy into this shit song. It costs too much to write a good song, probably. Uh, it, it was absolutely terrible. Well, I mean, listen, this is a goofy music bed song. This was this was production music from the 70s. Mm-hmm. And listen to the arrangement. I mean, listen how they... I mean, you know, it sounds corny, but it that 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 wasn't easy to do. I mean, that you know, that's a bunch of guys in a studio. It's an orchestra doing that. You know, that costs money. You know, that's yeah. expensive. I do like you don't hear a lot of orchestras that also have that uh, that wah guitar. You know, <laughs> well, that wow. was the '70s. Everybody was recovering from the '60s. You know. Well, you know, I did see uh, recently. I mean, not that recently. Shit! Wow, it's been a it's been quite a while now. But I saw Hans Zimmer in concert, 
And there's there's always some press every time he goes around and does another series of shows. He always gets good press for it, and I think he deserves it. He that that is one of the best shows I've ever seen in my life. Um, where Hans Zimmer comes out and he has the orchestra that he uh, he he does the Lion King, the Pirates of the Caribbean. He goes through all his material. He has world class musicians on stage playing just it just feats of it's just artistry and. Uh, the the spectacle is something else. Like when he does the Lion King, he gets the guy from uh, from Africa who comes up, and he's the guy who sings the ah. Uh, oh, he sings in Zulu, right at the beginning. It's that guy comes up yeah, and yeah. he's on stage. It's just it, and for someone I I remember the Lion King when it was new. Okay. You know, I was a kid when it was new. Let me put it that way. And so wait to see that guy on stage. He's like, holy shit! That's the dude. That's the guy. <laughs> that's the guy. Uh, it was a really fun, really fun thing, and, and he's always had that electric uh, and classical blending going on. Uh, there's not a lot of people who've done it as well as him, if you ask me. I'm not that familiar with that one. That's a little past oh, Hans Zimmer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you've, you must have I'm heard, heard of. I've heard of a lot of stuff that he's done. I'm sure. Oh yeah, he's just done a, so many soundtracks. I mean, some of the. Some of the staff that he has, I say staff, you know, the members of the orchestra, the esteemed mm-hmm. esteemed musicians, if you go look them up on IMDb, like there was this one lady who was playing the cello. She's playing the shit out of the cello. She played this cello so hard it looked like it was going to snap in half. She's just this tiny <laughs> Asian girl who's, who's sawing this. Uh, and anyway, I looked her up. I found out what her name was. Uh, I w- looked her up on IMDb, and she's been on... Every TV soundtrack, every movie soundtrack, every video game soundtrack. She's won all these awards for being the the cellist uh, 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 of, of behind all these great scores, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and she's the one who plays on the rec on the uh, the soundtrack, you know, with the the orchestra. So, so the super session musician, the, essentially. absolutely, they're all super session musicians. The drummers are like the best. It's. I mean, if you don't know their name, they're a session musician. But don't, yeah, those, don't those guys have to be the 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 best at what they do since they have to do every different style for whoever comes in that day? Yep. I mean, that's pretty hard to do if you're used to drumming for like a jazz artist and then all of a sudden you got to do a rock thing. Yeah. We should have a drum machine right there if you want to try it out. This is this is a big waste of time on the uh, on the. Um, oh wow! Colored li- colored lights. Yeah. Turn that fader up. Forget this stupid shit. So is this kind of like, you know, when your grandmother had that organ in the living room and it had those beat note buttons that no one ever used? (laughs) Yeah, just have at it. (laughs) Nah, that's fun. What's the one I remember on grandmother's organ? It was called Samba, you know. I've been playing that. I've been playing that after the show. What after we wrap up, I play a couple songs. Then I usually just jam over it with the with the drum. You know, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Boy, I'd like to take this back fifty years and show it to someone. Hey, oh, check this out. You blow some minds. Fire your drummer. Let's see. So, what else do we have interesting? Um, hmm, hmm. Let me think here. 
news clips? Oh, I've got something. I, I actually owe the audience uh, uh, some questions for you. Uh, you teased at one point, we were talking at work, and you were talking about UFOs. And you wanted to talk oh. about UFOs. We got <laughs> UFOs. We got 20 minutes left. I, I think okay. we should spend some right. time on the UFOs. All right. And, and, of course, you know, we all grew up or, you know, in adulthood watched the X-Files and enjoyed it very much. And, so, and some of us who are older remember Project UFO from NBC, you know, the one done by um, the fellow who did Dragnet. I can't think of his name right now. Um, mm. But um, <clears throat> now, <laughs> you know, you watch the X-Files and then you actually, your job takes you to some of these places. Yeah, yeah. Project UFO, Jack Webb. That's who did it. Um, but, you know, you go to... Because your work is taking you there because you're doing other work. You know, you're not doing anything with a UFO, but you're doing some other things on these places where UFOs fly. And it flies exactly <laughs> like it does on the X-Files. It does. The UFO, you see, you're out there doing your work at night and you're doing your project. You know, they don't, they don't tell you what's going on on the other side of the range because it's none of your business. Uh-huh. So you're there and you see the stuff flying in the sky just like it does on the X-Files. It makes these... Crazy moves and you know, makes these does all this stuff. And then you're down at the hotel the next morning having breakfast, and the guy that was flying the UFO is sitting in the table right next to you, and he's worried about getting new tires on the truck and if the kids are doing good in school and the wife's being a pain in the ass. And then it's not quite so mysterious anymore. <laughs> you know, when you think of the UFO that Scully and Mulder are watching, and it's being fly- flown by just a regular guy. Yeah, I mean, some of those, mm-hmm. some of those were were. Uh, Pretty interesting episodes. I, I I think some of them were only scary if you were a Catholic. That's my stance on on uh, some of Mulder's arc. On the MX. <laughs> but no, honestly, like, there are UFOs. There absolutely are, except the Army or the Air Force or the Navy is flying them. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that's the thing about the UFOs. Um, yeah, we were um, at Dugway Proving Grounds, and we were right behind Granite Mountain. And I guess according to the UFO people, that is supposed to be the place. You know, for UFOs. And no, no, it's not really. It's not. It's not. (laughs) But did you find, uh, did you find a downed airplane there? We were, we were permitted um, to go, you know, like how to put it, you know, you, you hear these stories, like there's, there's stories that, that pilots tell, you know, when they're flying about, you know, like there's a downed plane and you can see it at a certain time. And well, anyway, on this uh, army base, there is, it was a crashed experimental plane that we were allowed to hike up to and see. And, and um, we believe, according to serial numbers, we found that it was an F-86 Thunder Screech. And the um, Wikipedia article says there were two of them and one's lost. Well, we found it. And uh, one is in a museum somewhere. Mm. And an oddball plane, it had a propeller and a jet engine. Cool. And I guess, you know, real early jet engine studies, 50s, you know, unstable, uh, don't know anything about it. Even the people that work at the base since it was so long ago, you know, everyone has passed on and nobody remembers anything about it, just that it's there. Yeah. And they just discovered it maybe a year ago and -hmm. it had been crashed since the 50s. That's one thing that I've I've come to appreciate uh, over the last few years is just how... uh, Important it is to be able to, to, to go back and find the history of things uh, because a lot of the time you'll you'll be working on – maybe it's a system. Maybe you're, you're just working in an area. And it's like the people who 
designed it, don't they ain't around anymore. And you've got to get yourself in their headspace to uh, figure out what they were trying well, to. I think NASA's had that problem recently. They were trying to redesign the Rocketdyne Saturn V engine, and so much <laughs> yeah. of it was done. So much of it was tuned in test. Yes. And the people are all dead, and no one remembers how to do it. And they said it was just cheaper to design a new one because they yep. didn't know enough. And it's it's like, well, I mean, you know, it is it is fifty five years, you know, mm. so. Um, but, uh, I guess a lot of it maybe was that it was such a groundbreaking thing at the time. They didn't think that anybody would ever forget about it. So maybe they didn't document <laughs> it quite as much as they should have. Uh, you know, I've been there. I've been at that, uh, that desk with the test data going up in front of me thinking, I don't have to write that down. I'll never remember that. I'll never forget that number. And yeah. Of course you never remember deal. it. Yeah. And then a few years go by and you're like, huh, what, who what was that again? Yeah. <laughs> Um, so what else was I reading about today? Oh, I see that National Geographic uh, has just let go their last group of in-house yeah, people. Of replacing them all with what, chat GPT? Oh, it's, it's supposed to be all, all um, it was supposed to be all what? Like, like uh, bid authors, if you will. Uh, oh, right. Like how Jay Leno used to do his, uh, his jokes. They'd have that fax machine. He had a bunch of writers who would fax in topical material. And if you got your joke read, then you, you know, you yeah. got paid. And I really thought that was unfortunate. Well, here's something interesting. Um, they used to print records in their magazines. Really? They were called Evatone sound sheets. And it was super, super thin vinyl, about as thin as a sheet of paper. And if you folded it, you ruined it. Mm -hmm. But they would publish you know, audio clips, little audio presentations. And, um, and of course, when the minute I found out about it in high school, I found every year that had one and I got the record out for myself. <laughs> and, and, uh, what one do you have? I got 1979 and 1965. The whale. Yeah. The whale one is pretty good. Now this was produced by national geographic and printed in a vinyl record that was in the magazine. These are underwater sounds made by humpback whales as they pass near Bermuda in the spring. They were recorded through a hydrophone, which is a kind of underwater microphone. The water is very deep and the sounds are echoing off the undersurfaces of waves and from the submarine canyons and ridges on the island slope. If you listened for a long time, you would hear that the sounds are organized into definite repeating patterns. So we call them songs just as we refer to bird songs or frog songs. Unlike bird songs, humpback songs are very long, six to 30 minutes, and are strung together without pauses between them. They are probably the longest, loudest, and slowest songs in nature. That's awesome. And now your college-age neighbors have pissed you off the night before and kept you up all night. Well, when you leave for work in the morning, you put that on repeat <laughs> for them to hear all day. <laughs> oh, man. We have a dog problem around here. We've got the... Uh, yeah, they start... Let me guess. If you're home during the day, the dogs start barking about 930 in the morning. Oh, uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I can get a tiny bit of ultrasonic response out of these monitors. Uh, and No, uh, I've got... Just, no, just no, the, no. I've got a dog. No, 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 no. I have a 100 watt oh, God. bullet tweeter that goes up to 40 <laughs> kilohertz and I've got an amplifier for it and a, and a tone generator. You just turn that on and as soon as you turn it up, you'll hear them start. <laughs> Can you wear them out? That's what I, that's what my goal is usually. Can you, 
can you wear them out so they shut up for a while? I don't know. I, I could make my neighbor's dog howl, that's for sure. He definitely could. He was hearing the 30 kilohertz, that's for sure. Mm. Yeah. I mean, and I knew it was outputting 30 kilohertz because the tweeter was hot. I mean, it was hot to the touch and you couldn't hear a thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've got... Uh... Let's see. What else do we have? Um, let's see. That was the National Geographic. We've got to do something. That has a nice plug for them. Unfortunately, the print media is on the, on the way out. Mm. Yeah, I, I think they should just republish zoo books, you know, and just keep, they, they, they could take that strategy, just reissue the same thing every year mm. to the same 12 issues. You only need 12 minor updates, maybe a spell check. Well, while we're on the sound sheet, the super thin record, um, when in the seventies, it wasn't uncommon to get a record mailed to you. That was one of those super thin records, and it was usually Longines, Symphonette, and you know, advertising those giant, you know, albums like maybe ten records in a big cardboard box of like certain things. Hmm. And um, I grabbed some of these because I found a whole bunch of them that somebody had collected, and they they were they, there was once again real easy to destroy. You can't play them very long, um, and they're commercials essentially because they're trying to sell you something. But still, it's neat because they don't they've never survived. Now what's this is a promotional sound sheet of yeah. Bert. Bert Campfort. Yeah, why do I know Bert Campfort? What did he do? This stuff. Yeah. Well, that's what he looks like, huh? In Hamburg, Germany. Wow. It does sound like some wartime music. Well, you figure after you made it through World War II and you had grenades thrown at you, you probably wouldn't want to listen to anything louder than this after. <laughs> and I always wondered why this was so popular in the 50s. Yeah, if someone was throwing grenades at me for four years, I wouldn't oh, want man. to hear any rock music either. No, uh, I worked with a guy back back when I was in New Hampshire. I had a co-worker who had an experience with a grenade. I think it was a practice grenade, but it blew up behind him once. And he got just PTSD from it. Like... Not in the bullshit way, like in the, if you walk up behind him and tap him on the shoulder, you would freak out. And you only did that once. And I've always felt so bad for the guy, but he would really just, he had it bad, man. So when you say grenade, that's what grenade. I think about. Is grenade, yeah. He, he, just one one grenade, and that's all it does. Ooh, at this yeah. now, I, now, actually, in that LP collection, I, I found this entire box set, and they hadn't been played very much. So you actually have this entire collection. Oh, nice. Well, this is... Uh, it's great background music. Uh, I do like it. Wow. We've got some f it's kind of fair use restrictions here. Harry, play, go to the the Judy, play the Judy Garland one. Judy Garland's uh, promotional sound sheet, huh? Judy Garland, singing in live concert. Responding to live audiences in a rare collection of beautiful recordings. Here are the songs that were hers and hers alone. Listen. I know. I'll, I'll sing them all and we'll stay all night. I don't ever want to go home. I never. She ain't never gonna stop. <laughs> Somewhere over the rainbow. 
See, now remember, this is a paper-thin piece of vinyl. Not many of these survived, and I, I stumbled across a bunch of them in a uh, 45 um, uh, record case. Somebody else had kept them, and these are all from about the mid-60s, I believe. A lasting tribute to Judy Garland, a keepsake souvenir for one of the world's most beloved entertainers. Yeah, that's Longines Symphonette, Symphonette Square, New York. Yeah, that's that, that huh. was a company that made a lot of box set records back in the 60s and 70s. Mm. I like the live production where they had the, the audience, you could hear them pot. As soon as you started to sing, they just uh, potted everything. Yeah, they, they switched. Yeah. yeah. But then that's all, you know, live recording. I mean, there was no, I don't probably, they probably, I don't even think they used mic limiters in those days. <laughs> no, really, I don't. Maybe they had one mic limiter on her mic, you know. Mm. What's another good one? The one that sold my the one that sold my grandparents. Oh yeah, um, where's the uh, swing era? The swing era. That's actually pretty interesting. Uh, I don't see that. Yeah, it's down time life towards the bottom. Oh, time life swing era promotional sheet. Let's take a listen to this one. No, they purposely do it that way. Is it on mono, you mean? Yeah, they purposely do it that way. This is, the this is what sold my grandparents on this. The extremely wide stereo. Like Wait. Uh, imagine 19... It's 1940s swing recorded in the late 1960s with all that stereo reverb and echo. <laughs> and I don't know if I like the 1940s dry version or the 19 late 1960s super echo stereo wide version. I don't know which one's better. There's one in here where they actually fade from the old 78 and they fade it right into the new one. And that's when I remember my grandmother just, oh, we're buying this. <laughs> <laughs> Promotional disc as you remember them. That sounds like that. If I were to guess, fine stereo collection of famous instrumentals. I don't know. Well, let's see. What about music around the world? Oh, uh, you ever you ever about, work with? Uh... How about the uh, forty-five singles from Australia? Yeah. When I was in Australia, um, we uh, flew into Adelaide, and then we had to drive five hours to Woomera Test Range. So you stayed overnight in Adelaide and slept before you drove five hours. Well, we were in the city center, and right around the corner from the hotel was a record store, and they had. <laughs> And they had 45s of Australian bands. And, of course, I have no idea. So I just randomly bought 50 45s, just randomly picked them out and brought them home. Did you, did you pick them by name? or Nope, uh, nope just randomly picked them. Ah, uh, well. Where's Not them? even by the cover, huh? Where's the better next time? Better next time. I don't see that right off the top of my head. It's in there. Edwin's in there somewhere. There it is right there. Up, up, up. Bitch Perfect. The band is oh, Bitch I, Perfect, and the song is Better Next Time. Oh, uh, you want to listen to that one? Yeah. Well, let's listen to a little snippet. This is the one? Yeah. This is Better Next Time by Bitch Perfect. Garage Band all the way. For some 
That's fun. Well, this has been a fun uh, session, Mark. I'm glad you could come over and, yeah, and do sorry, a show. Yeah, sorry. I was a little sleepy today, and I did not have as many stimulants as the last time, so it was a little... Um, oh, no, see. that's fine. It's a, chill, uh, it's a chill episode. You know, people are still hungover from the 4th, so... Well, it hasn't started yet. Well, in the future, they will be. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, we're going... So. I was going to say we're going on tape, but even that's dated. We're going on bit. Would you say we're going into bits? Yeah, we're going into bits right now. All right. Well, until next time, I think we should play out on this song instead of the normal ending theme. Yeah, we'll be better next time. We'll be better next time. Uh, I've been Abel Kirby. Stay fruity, boys. And Mark Christopher be uh, bidding you a happy holiday and happy hangover. Adios, folks. She looks at me and says, better next